All right, everybody, welcome to the Backseat Huddle Podcast, episode 37. The last two episodes have both been 35, so I apologize for that. Uh, I said 35 twice. So today, I just got a couple things. It's the offseason, going to talk about the Cowboys a little bit. Also going to talk about the upcoming NFL draft, and I'm also going to give you a short list of players who are retired that I would like to see playing in the NFL today. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so I'd like to talk about the NFL draft with you guys just a little bit. More specifically, I'd like to talk about quarterbacks with you guys. So unless there is a surefire generational prospect at quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Caleb Williams, NFL teams should draft on potential, not performance. So I'm going to steal Colin Cowherd's thoughts on this a little bit because I feel like they're just absolutely dead on what most of these big time college quarterbacks deal with in college at big time colleges. I'm talking Alabama, Ohio state, Clemson's Georgia's of the world, those top flight college programs, what they deal with is not what the NFL reality is in college. If you play quarterback at Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state, You as the quarterback have the best athletes catching passes, best linemen blocking, best coaches, coaches, coaching, better facilities, better trainers, everything around you, your surroundings are better than what you are going up against outside of three or four games per season. And in those games, when you're playing against another Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, it's often close to a wash. That is once again, not the reality of life as a quarterback in the NFL. You're not going to have always had the best wide receivers. You're not always going to have the best coach. You're not always going to have the best offensive line. A glaring example of this is Patrick Mahomes. This last season, his wide receiver one was Juju Smith-Schuster. Given he did have Travis Kelsey, but he put up over 5,000 yards in the air throwing to... Uh, mid-season acquisition in Kandarius Tony, Juju Smith-Schuster, Travis Kelsey, and Sky Moore. He did not have the benefit of having all-star wide receivers this season, and he still got it done. So when these major college quarterbacks enter the NFL, they put up numbers, they put up stats, they look good on film. Because why wouldn't they? Very often, when you see the guys who have succeeded in the NFL... They've had to struggle at some point in college. They didn't just get to walk on the field and everything was easy. They've had to transfer. They went to smaller schools. They had to struggle at some point to get to where they are at now. And they've had to face some adversity to become who they are. Let's look at some of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. And the list I'm going to just, I'm just going to throw them out. It's not about the list itself but just about where they went to school and what they had to overcome when they were in college. Most of these guys didn't go to major schools and the ones that did go to major schools, they transferred because they couldn't see the field because something happened. They had to overcome some adversity in college. Patrick Mahomes went to Texas tech. Really? Texas tech. Joe Burrow 
went to Ohio State and LSU. Okay, so he did go to two major schools. But he couldn't even find his way out of the field at Ohio State, so he had to transfer. Then he went through some adversity still. He suffered a, a really mediocre first season at LSU and then had the greatest college season a quarterback has ever had. Okay, so he did still face a little, little bit of adversity, but he was really being drafted based on the potential of what coaches saw in that one season. Okay, Jalen Hurts went to Alabama and Oklahoma. Once again, two major schools. But this dude got benched in the national championship game and had to watch his backup win it and basically lost his job the subsequent season. So he transferred. Imagine having to swallow that pill at 21 years old. Imagine having to look yourself in the mirror after being told you aren't good enough to win a college championship at Alabama. Ouch, man. That's adversity. Josh Allen went to Wyoming. Speaks for itself. Justin Herbert played at Oregon. Now, Oregon's a good school, okay? But do they have the best athletes? Do they have the best coaches? Do they have the best offensive line? No. Oregon isn't in the same breath as Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, even though they seem to beat them every single year. Trevor Lawrence. You got me there. Okay, Trevor Lawrence went to Clemson, but he's like the lone exception. He was the number one player out of high school, number one player in college, and he's proving to be a shooting star in the NFL as well. Lamar Jackson, Louisville. I mean, dude, did this dude play with a single other NFL player or starter in college? Adversity. It wasn't perfect for him. To back this up just a little bit further, let's double down and look at, at, at the previous generation uh, of quarterbacks as well. Real quick, Tom Brady went to Michigan. Couldn't even start in college. Ended up in ended up a six-round pick. Adversity. Drew Brees went to Purdue. Not a college football powerhouse. Also a second-round pick. Big Ben went to Miami of Ohio. Who? Aaron Rodgers went to Cal. Once again, not a college powerhouse. Peyton Manning, he went to Tennessee. He is the Trevor Lawrence of this group. He's the lone standout. He went to Tennessee when they were a college powerhouse. He was a number one quarterback in high school, number one quarterback in college, and then came out, and obviously he became Peyton Manning. He's a Hall of Fame player. You kind of get where I'm going with this. The all-time greats, the guys who are great, have had to go through something. Let's look at the guys who went to the powerhouse schools and are playing right now. Justin Fields went to Ohio State. Okay, look, they would have traded... There was talk about the about the Bears trading him and picking a different quarterback with number one. If Caleb Williams was in this draft right now, they would have traded him. He would not be a Chicago Bear right now. He's a great athlete, but is he a great quarterback? We're going to see this season. And as much as I really like Justin Fields, I want to see Justin Fields succeed. They lost 10 straight games, and they did end up with the number one pick. He's still a question mark. Mac Jones went to Alabama. Good, not great. Took a little bit of a lump this past season. I don't put a ton of blame on him. He had to do with Matt Patricia, a defensive coordinator, calling plays. Uh, but he and he also deals with not having great offensive weaponry around him. But coming out of college, we all know he was limited. He wasn't a great prospect, and he's arguably the 10th best quarterback in his conference, let alone the NFL. Tua, Tonga Vailoa, went to Alabama. Tua looked pretty good this season, okay? But before this season, before he got hurt, he looked like a bust. Let's call it how it is. He looked like a bust. He didn't face any adversity in college. He dealt with injuries in college, and he's dealt with injuries in pros. But at one point, he looked like a bust. We'll have to see what it is this season. 
Kyler Murray. Okay. Kyler Murray went to Oklahoma. He has individually looked really good at times, but he doesn't win enough. He's often injured and he deals with maturity issues. He did face a little bit of adversity in college where the transfer from Texas Tech to Oklahoma. But what do we actually think of Kyler Murray? I mean, it's a mixed bag, I guess. Deshaun Watson is another one. I mean, he looked to be one of those exceptions before this season where he looked really, really, really good. And last season, he looked really, really, really bad. So what I'm getting at is all of the great quarterbacks in the NFL right now face some adversity. What adversity did Bryce Young face? What adversity did C.J. Stroud face? They stepped in at great programs, replaced great quarterbacks at great schools with great players, with great coaches, with great offensive linemen, with great receivers. If you're picking early in the draft, it almost doesn't make sense to pick a quarterback from a big school for the reasons I talked about, unless they've had the transfer or unless they've gone through some adversity. The great quarterbacks in the NFL right now that played at big-time schools had the transfer for one reason or the other. The rest were second-tier schools or worse. They had to fight through some form of adversity. They had to overcome something in their college days that I guess that helped mold them for the NFL. If you're a quarterback-needy team, take the guy with the potential over the proven guy at the college level. This is not me saying that Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are going to be all-time great players. But this is me saying that if you are going to draft a player that high, draft a player with all the potential in the world, not that you've seen get it done. Because there's a reason that you have seen them get it done. It's because they've got the better players, the better coaches, the better line, the better offensive personnel, the better trainers, the better training staff, the better facilities. They should look better. That's my opinion. Maybe it's dumb. I'm sure to hear all about it. Moving on. Moving on, the Dallas Cowboys have had one of the have had one of the sneakier good. The Dallas Cowboys have had one of the sneakier good off seasons this year. They've made three major moves. They've completely changed my opinion of what they're capable of going into next season. Next season, I I had them personally. I really thought they'd take a fairly large step back. Uh, I thought they're going to have a down year, and they they very may will could potentially have a step back season next season. It really just depends on what offensive coordinator brought in Schottenheimer is capable of. But the Dallas Cowboys have addressed three major issues this offseason, and I'm pretty impressed with all of them. Number one, they cut Ezekiel Elliott and they moved Tony Pollard into the starting role at running back. So this move hurts because of who Zeke used to be, but he had to go. It pains me to say it, but Ezekiel Elliott just isn't the player he used to be. And all the things he didn't and doesn't have, backup Tony Pollard does have those things. Tony Pollard is just so clearly the better player. The dude is just explosive, absolutely jumps off the screen, screen every time you watch him. Among running backs with 1,000 yards, Tony Pollard had the second highest yards per carry. I didn't watch a ton of Dallas games last season, but when I did, it was Tony Pollard jumping off the screen. Getting him more touches should improve the Dallas offense, and getting Zeke's contract off the books is obviously beneficial for long-term cap space. It sucks because of what Zeke was, but he's had to go. Number two, the Cowboys traded for a slightly past his prime Stephon Gilmore. And I say slightly because he was still PFF's number nine corner last season. 
it goes without saying that Trevon Diggs is Trevon Diggs and obviously is high-risk, high-reward style, paired up with one of the better lockdown corners in the NFL. This just looks and sounds like a good cornerback pairing. This move makes it even it makes even more sense when you consider that the Cowboys are in a division with the Eagles. We have two rock star wideouts in AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. And it just it, it makes even more sense when you consider that Dallas just had a fairly weak secondary last season. And then the NFL is a weapons league. It just it just it just makes sense. The entire move was just shrewd. They didn't give up a lot to get them. And it was just securing an area of weakness for the Cowboys. And number three, they traded for wide receiver Brandon Cooks. So this move also makes a ton of sense for them. One of my complaints for the Dallas Cowboys last season was they just didn't have enough wide receiver weapons. It felt like it was CeeDee Lamb and nobody else at wideout. What I question with this Brandon Cooks deal is that obviously Brandon Cooks is a deep threat. And I personally don't think of Dak Prescott as kind of a deep ball guy. Now, obviously, he's no longer the dink and Dak player that he was early in his career. But I also don't think of Dak Prescott as a guy to just let it rip either. So I'm not sure what the fit is. But the hope is obviously that Brandon Cooks will inject some of that deep ball type of offense into their scheme. So we'll hope. I'm, I'm hopeful that it will work out. This move also perhaps just as importantly allows Michael Gallup to slide into the wide receiver three role, which he seems more suited for. I mean, he's coming off of an ACL injury uh, and this allows him kind of not have to be depended on, but really just allows him to make his one ridiculous play slash catch per game, which really seems to be Michael Gallup's thing. The dude disappears all game, does something incredible, and then just goes back to disappearing. So it was a sneaky good offseason for Dallas. Just a couple moves, couple impact moves. I still think now last, I thought that they were going to be kind of a step back candidate. I still think they're just a mid-tier playoff team, but they definitely shored up some of their weaknesses. Lastly, I'm going to do something that I swore that I would not, and I'm going to do a list. I swore to myself that I wouldn't do this because I think it's really low effort content. And I try to be a bit more thoughtful than that. Uh, but I thought it'd be fun. I mean, I'm allowed to have fun, right? So I'm going to list for you top five players. These are my top five players that are currently retired that I would like to see in today's game. Number five is Randy Moss. Now, Randy Moss didn't retire too long ago, but I mean, this dude today would be incredible. All the rules lean offense right now. And Moss, when he was still playing, the NFL was still somewhat of a run the ball, play defense type of league. That type of play style was still legitimate. Uh, obviously, toward the end of his career, he did start to play in a more current iteration uh, style of the NFL. But defenses were still extremely prevalent in a lot of NFL teams. Like, just for example, when he was at his best in 2007 with Tom Brady and the Patriots, there were still the likes of the Ray Lewis-led Ravens, Troy Palomalo-led Troy Steelers, and Tom and Randy were torching them 15 years ago. So what would he be able to do in today's game? Like, how would you stop him? You, you couldn't do it then. And with today's rules, it'd be even more impossible now. Randy just seems like he'd be just such an awesome fit in today's game. Big, tall, strong. It'd just be cool, man. Love to see Randy in today. 
Number four, this is a biased pick. This is a pick for me. Number four is Percy Harvin. So back when Percy Harvin came out of college, I from Florida, I consider myself a little bit of a Gator fan. And let me tell you guys, at least those of you who aren't old like me, Percy was freaking electric. He was around right about the same time as Tavon Austin was. And Tavon Austin got all of the spotlight, but Percy Harvin was the better player, okay? He was the far superior player. Urban Meyer, who is his former head coach in college, has gone on record and said Percy Harvin was the best player that Urban Meyer ever coached. And Urban Meyer coached Tim Tebow, who is arguably the greatest college football player of all time and also coached Ezekiel Elliott and those types of players at Ohio State. So that is huge praise coming from Urban Meyer. So what makes what makes Percy Harvin so interesting is in this in this era of offense where players are constantly put in space, used to the best of their abilities, Percy was just capable of everything. He was a type of player. He was really kind of the precursor to what we're seeing with Debo Samuel today. He could run the ball. He could catch the ball. He was an elite returner. He was elite after the catch. He was the type of player that could just make something happen if you just found a way to get the ball in his hands. I just, it, with, with today's interesting, unique, you know, creative offensive coaching, I think Percy Harvin would just have been an absolute blast to watch, especially if he ended up somewhere with a fun coach like Shanahan, Andy Reid, or Mike McDaniels. It's a personal pick for me. I just love Percy Harvin. He'd be my number four. Number three is Michael Vick. Come on now. This list would not be complete if you didn't have Michael Vick on it. This one speaks for itself. What we've seen, I mean, Vic was just so unique. I mean, the only comp for him right now really is Lamar Jackson. I mean, what we've seen Lamar Jackson do in today's game, it's worth noting that Vic would very likely have been capable of very similar things. He was just such a unique player with such a unique play style. And he's just, he's just arguably one of the most exciting players of all time. And we're in an era where mobile quarterbacks are no longer the exception like it was when Vic was playing. They're the norm. And he was just so completely different from everything else at the time. And there was no real comp for him in, in, his, in his day. And there's really only one comp for him now, and that's Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson's a former MVP, so that's really high praise. He was just different. He was super electric, super exciting. Obviously, you'd want to see Michael Vick in today's game. Number two, Marshall Falk. Now, Marshall Falk was, I believe, the second player to have a 1,000-yard rushing and 1,000-yard receiving season. So in an age where receiving backs are legitimate and it's not just something like catching the ball, it's not just something running backs can do, it's something they're expected to do, you want them to do, and it's a legitimate part of the offense, Marshall would just thrive today. I could talk forever about this one, but I'm just going to go ahead and let the highlights roll for just a minute. So let's go. I apologize to my audio only listeners. I'm I'm throwing up a I'm throwing up a montage of Marshall Falk right now. Y'all are listening, y'all are missing out, but you can find it on YouTube if you'd like. So one of Marshall Falk's former coaches actually once said he thought Marshall Marshall Falk could have played multiple positions in the NFL and he could have been a Hall of Fame wide receiver. The dude was just slippery as hell and would be a force in today's offenses, even if NFL teams aren't as running back centric as they used to be 23, 20 years ago when he played. 
And the number one player that is retired that I wish that could play in today's game is Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. It's actually Steve Young. My number one player I wish that's retired that I wish I could watch play today is Steve Young. Everybody wants to put Michael Vick in this spot because of how fast and explosive Michael Vick was, but Vick wasn't actually an all-time great player. He was an all-time exciting player and an all-time unique player, but he wasn't an all-time great player. Steve Young was. So Steve Young is currently in the Hall of Fame, and Michael Vick's not going to get in the Hall of Fame. Let me read you a little bit about Steve Young's accomplishment and why I think he'd be such an, I think he'd be a perfect fit for today's game. Steve Young is a three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowl, four-time passing touchdowns leader, six-times passer rating leader, five-time NFL completions leader. He also ran a 4.55 40-yard dash. For comparison, Cam Newton ran a 4.56. He also holds the record for most rushing yards by a quarterback in a postseason career and most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in the postseason with eight. So he can throw it and he can run it. I mean, the dude is perfect for today's NFL. I will admit to you, and if I could talk to him, which I probably never will, Steve would probably also admit to you that Michael Vick was a better runner than Steve was, but Steve could really move, man. He had some extremely impressive rushing highlights. And based on people I've talked to, he ran a little bit too much when he was a little bit younger. Then he really improved his passing. Obviously, as you can tell by the stats I listed before. Look, the reality is that the NFL is still a passing league. Mobility is just a part of it now. There's a reason why Patrick Mahomes is winning Super Bowls, for example, and Lamar Jackson isn't which isn't meant to say that Lamar Jackson is not a good passer. It's just that Patrick Mahomes is the all-time gifted passer with some mobility. Lamar Jackson is the all-time mobility and is also a gifted passer. So Steve Young was an improvising quarterback before that was really a thing. I mean, I guess Fran Tarkenton, whatever, if you want to bring into it. But he was an improvising quarterback that was also an extremely polished passer, and it just feels like he fits in today's game. It feels like he's just so suited for what we're seeing in the NFL today. So that's it. That is my show. Thank you guys all for stopping by, listening, watching. Once again, feel free to like and subscribe. Take care, everybody.